If you live in the D.C. area, you've likely heard of this next company I'm partnering with. Mighty Meals is a convenient, healthy meal delivery service made with locally sourced ingredients by chefs. I love Mighty Meals because with over 150 options that are constantly rotated for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and even snacks, I'm never getting bored. And what's even better than the options is that the food is, well, like I said earlier, delivered. No lugging groceries. For listeners of the Oregon News Podcast, Mighty Meals is offering you $25 off for purchases of $75 or more. Head to the show notes to find an easy, clickable link to learn more. Hi, and welcome to the Your Good News Podcast with me, your host, Katherine Getty. Each Thursday, I'll give you the scoop on the good news coming out of Washington and how you can get involved with this thing called democracy. Welcome back to another episode of the Your Good News Podcast. There's going to be a quick update on what's happening in Washington, and then we'll transition to a special politics edition of Honoring Women's History Month. So first... The appropriations process is kicking off today. Expected March 9th, President Biden's budget will be released. So I want to cover two questions in context to the president's budget. One, what exactly does the president's budget mean? And two, is this the final budget for the government? So for what does it mean? This, the president's budget, is essentially his wish list. The Constitution makes clear that Congress holds the power of the purse, giving it authority to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises, and specifying that no money shall be drawn from the Treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law. In short, federal taxing and spending requires an act of Congress. By the president sharing where he views funding should be placed, by sending the president's budget to Congress, he's sharing his hopes for what the budget would look like, what the appropriations process, where funding will be actually spent. In layman's term, it helps understand where his priorities are. The State of the Union, which we talked about in a previous episode, is really a first indicator of what the president's budget will likely be. But until that document is released, it is pure speculation. And you'll see The president's party in Congress will always applaud and cheer the request from the president and use it as their basis. So for 2023, Democrats in Congress will likely applaud the president's budget and Republicans will use it as a counterpoint. So the opposing party will notably share their views and likely slash some budget lines and increase other ones to show what they value. It is a dance. Each party has their own views on where tax dollars should be spent. And this is really a good indicator of where the battle lines will be drawn. I hate to say battle, but where the lines of contention will be for when Congress gets into the debate of appropriations, the appropriations process. All right. So we've tackled the first question. What does the president's budget mean? So to the next question, is this the actual budget? You've probably guessed it, it isn't. Like I said earlier, Congress really will have the final say in the coming months. And following the release, the secretaries of various departments, so think Department of Defense, Health and Human Services Secretary, CDC Director, folks like that will go up to Congress and to a variety of committees 
and kind of share the rationale behind the president's budget. And then House and Senate appropriators will begin crafting their funding bills. It always looks a little different. I would be venturing a guess if I give, gave you kind of what the rest of the year will look like. But when we're thinking about the president's budget, if you fully understand that it's a wish list, that it creates kind of a, a starting point for the appropriations process following that, will then be kind of when the administration goes to support it. Congress will start to think about, okay, what are the issues? What are the areas that we really want to fund or where do we want to tweak? It really kicks off that process. That's what the president's budget means. That's why it's important. And I think it's helpful for you to understand that because you kind of hear these numbers being tossed around and it gives you more context to what our political process really is. And second, I want to take time to honor Women's History Month, but with a political twist. I want to honor the women who have blazed trails in big and small ways. This list doesn't even scratch the surface of women who have made an impact in our country. I call them out because they did blaze a trail. They led a way for the next generation of which I am a part of, and for that I'm internally grateful. I think it's so important that we say their names so that we know their stories, so that we may make the next generation of female leaders. To kick off our list, Senator Margaret Chase Smith. She was a Maine Republican elected to both the House of Representatives in 1940 and then the Senate in 1948. Representative Shirley Chisholm, a New York Democrat. She became the first Black woman to serve in Congress. She remained in the House of Representatives until 1982. And of note, Congresswoman Chisholm also ran for president in the Democratic primaries. Patricia Roberts-Harris. She was appointed by President Jimmy Carter and served as the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development from 1977 to 79. And then from 79 to 81, she served as the Secretary of Health and Human Services. She was the first Black woman to serve in a presidential cabinet and the first woman to hold two different cabinet positions. Ileana Ross Layton, a Florida Republican, became the first Hispanic woman and first Cuban-American to be elected to Congress. She was elected in 1989 in the special election and recently retired. Olympia Snow, a Maine Republican, became the first woman to have been elected to the state House, state Senate, U.S. House, and U.S. Senate. Senator Debbie Stabenow, Democrat of Michigan, also followed this path to the U.S. Senate, making her the first Democrat to do so. Fun fact, Senator Stabenow is currently a member of Senate leadership. Condoleezza Rice. She became the first woman to hold the post of National Security Advisor, formerly known as the Assistant to the President for National Security Affairs, when she was appointed by President George W. Bush. Kamala Harris, who is both Black and South Asian, became the first South Asian and second Black woman elected to the U.S. Senate, and notably, she became our first female Vice President. Like I said earlier, this list doesn't even scratch the surface. And why do I say these names? Because it's so important that we remember the impacts that women had. They were the first. They stepped out. They were brave. May we all be brave like them. May we all remember how important this country is and that it needs voices of differing opinions, of different experiences to make it a better place. 
This week's episode covered the kickoff of the appropriations process, how the government works to fund itself, as well as my twist on honoring Women's History Month. Thank you again for joining today's episode of the Your Good News podcast. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit subscribe. Follow me on Instagram. My handle is at Katherine Getty. And as always, tune in next week to another episode of the Your Good News podcast.